So uh, we're, I've really been um, kind of on the track of, of understanding that we're in a war and in a battle uh, and, uh, and to how to win successfully, how to come through the battle on the victory side. So that's really what it's all about. I'm here to serve you. And I want to um, encourage you that, uh, that the Lord is on our side. And if God is for us, who can be against? You know, um, Billy Graham had a very famous uh, line that he always used to say. And he used to say, uh, God has a plan for your life. You remember that? Uh, you know, here's the unfortunate news. The devil has a plan too. And the world has a plan for your life. And so... And God has a plan, the world has a plan, the devil has a plan, and you have a plan. Now, your plan can be influenced by the other three. And you have to choose which plan is going to be your influencer. When you plan out your life, there are a lot of things you can't control. The things that the world controls, things that the devil controls, and things that God controls. And you have to decide who's going to influence your decisions, your way of walking, your way of doing things. And that is part of spiritual warfare. You're actually one of the strategic things that the devil wants to take hold of and either neutralize or just prevent you from coming into God's fullness for you. And I want you to understand that uh, serving the Lord is, uh, is about freedom. We're, and, you know, when we do battle, we do battle for the sake of, at least we do, we do it for the sake of freedom. Uh, what freedom means is not what freedom does not mean is doing whatever you please. We like to think of that as freedom. Of course, it depends on what you please, what you're pleased to do. Uh, but uh, a very famous uh, uh, evangelist called D.L. Moody said this: uh, "I have never met a man who has given me as much trouble as myself." So uh, today I want to really focus on, we've talked about the world last week, uh, but this, or a couple of weeks ago, this time I'd like to see how the battle is done in the flesh. Because the two are actually, in fact, all of it is connected. What we do personally in our life influences what the devil is free to do in other places as well. So we are really on the front lines, and the front line goes right through your heart. So... Uh, we want to understand this. That the, uh, so when we uh, look at Galatians 5, uh, the scripture there says that uh, for the flesh sets, that's the flesh, sets the desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. I think sometimes we, uh, when you become a believer, you think that God has kind of like a, a, a negative opinion on the flesh. And that would be substantiated by this scripture, obviously. Uh, but I think we have to understand what that exactly means, what the flesh actually means first. So uh, I've got grandchildren, eight of them. One of them is right there. Reese, wave your hand. Uh, Dr. Janet is home with our granddaughter who uh, was sneezing, so we thought we'd just leave her at home. Had a bit of a headache yesterday. So uh, she's at home, but she's actually feeling fine. But our eight grand, great grand, great grand, or eight, not great grandkids. Grand, they are great, but they're not my great grandkids. They're my grandkids, yes, to get my nomenclature right. Uh, you know, it's wonderful being a grandparent, isn't it? Uh, because you get to observe uh, without actually having to have the responsibility of shaping them. <laughs> but one thing I observe as they get older 
is, uh, and it's, it's the same really for all children. We observe how they learn and how they develop and how they like to push the envelope. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they like to, they take pleasure in doing the things that are forbidden. They like to live dangerously. And I mean, the first word that a parent learns to use on his children is no! Don't do that. The parent's job is to shape them, protecting them from dangerous behavior and teaching them right and wrong. Do you realize that the fact that there is a right and wrong is because of sin? So I'm, you know, I try to imagine what would happen if there had been no sin. We wouldn't have to be able to teach them right and wrong. We'd just teach them right and better. Uh, but that's a consequence of sin that they're actually born in. So everyone is born in sin. So that, I know, is a difficult thing to imagine when you're looking at a little beautiful little baby. They're so innocent. They're so sweet. But, you know, it's part of their ingrained character to push the envelope. And that's not necessarily bad because that creates creativity. But it's the job of the parent to shape them into uh, knowing what is right and what is wrong, to redirect their energy and their uh, initiatives into, into, good, into a good direction. Um, but uh, there are a lot of other things that shape our children too. As soon as they're in school, there are other things that shape them. The society around them shapes them. Uh, my 10-year-old granddaughter, who is at home with Janet, uh, she actually knows what a sociopath is. She can define sociopath. It's like, I was shocked at that. How should they even be exposed to that already? But she says, oh, yeah, I've got a sociopath living in my neighborhood. Yikes. Shaped. The world says that we're born in sin, and we're shaped not only by our parents and by our, 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 our close family relationship, but we're shaped by iniquity. We're shaped by evil. It's hard to escape the iniquity that's in the world. You cannot. But you can learn to deal with it. So there are other influences apart from the good. There are evil influences in the world, and that is a reality. So the fact is, the church is here. Our role is to oppose that evil, to do what we can to, to change the course of the battle, not only for ourselves, but certainly for ourselves, for our family, for those around us, our, our neighborhood, uh, as much as we can. And, and even through that uh, personal level to, um, to also change the world. See, it's a tug of war. And it's wrong to think this. It's wrong to think that if the world were a better place, I would have no problems. I would be fine. And you know what? You're also infected with a virus of sin. So even if the world hadn't been like that, there would still be an opportunity for sin to enter in and to create a problem. So God's dealing with us personally first. So he is our personal Savior. And uh, we need to know him in that way. Spiritual warfare is against all of humanity, but it, uh, and it's against us personally as well. So we can't escape the battle. It's actually the devil's proxy war against God. He wants to destroy humanity because God loves humanity and God created humanity. God is not against the flesh. There's a war because God will not abandon his claim to flesh and the world. The world is the Lord's and all the people in it. Hallelujah. I'm glad of that. He hasn't given up. He hasn't decided, well, I made a, I made a boo-boo creating man. Let's just let them go. Uh, no. 
he has given us um, hope for the future. So there are actually, as I explained last week, three theaters of spiritual warfare. From the, the devil's point of the way, there are doorways into dominating the uh, humanity. Uh, the devil uses the world, even though he has not total control over the world. He uses the flesh, even though he does not total control over the flesh, but he uses that as a means to defeat uh, the overall plan, which is to bring man and humanity into eternity, to give us eternal life. The reason that's a danger to him is if we become eternal, we displace him. He no longer becomes the dominant ruler of creation. That's God's intention is to bring us into that place. So he has a very vested interest in dealing with us. So God is, how is God going to do this battle? Well, he's put himself in us. The Lord of battle is in you. Hallelujah. The Lord of battle is in you. And uh, he has given us weapons of warfare, the the Bible says, that are not carnal, but that are mighty in the Holy Spirit. So the problem today is for most believers is we have the weapons, we have the presence, but we have no will to fight. Hello? We have the weapons, we have the presence of God, but we also have to have a will to fight. We can't just be complacent, not my problem, or I'm fine so far. And then when you get into trouble, then you want to fight. No, you have to have a will to fight. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing the news every day. We see what has happened to the, the tragedy that's in Afghanistan where these people have been, tra- these army has been trained for like 20 years and in 11 days they lose because they laid down their weapons. And, uh, and they didn't have, a, have the capacity to fight for whatever reason. So history will tell us what happened there. Uh, but it's tragedy. And I think I'm just worried uh, that uh, the church, I do not want to see the church in that, in that position, that we're, we're in a panic to get out of here. No, we have to have a will to fight because the battle is the Lord's, and he is not giving up on earth, and he's not giving up on flesh. He wants us to stand in the gap at the moment as much as we can to win the battle. And so we have to be ready to fight for the things that are right, for the things that are good. And to, and to stand in the gap. So, taking a little lesson from uh, Daniel on how to do that, how to, how to successfully engage in our role here. So, you know, you all know about Daniel, right? Daniel was one of the exiles that was taken forcibly from Jerusalem and moved to Babylon. He was just a young man at the time. So, the world system of Babylon could spot talent. They knew people who were talented and who were good. They could spot them. They were, they were smart that way, and they were able to draft the best of the best everywhere. So Daniel was uh, like a number one draft pick, and he got on the team. He was brought in, and the purpose was to give him all kinds of advantages and so on so that he could serve the king so that he could serve the system of Babylon. And they had an interest in giving him whatever he did and, and putting him in a very special place. He got to eat at the king's table. This was an immense honor. And so he not only had good food, but he had honor, and he had a future. 
all the things that would be very encouraging for anybody with any kind of human ambition. So and then he was assigned a coach to help him come along in that area. And so the coach, I can just kind of picture what must have happened as the coach took these young guys in and he said, and they, they had been in exile. They probably hadn't seen a lot of things in luxury. They were, they were brought into the king's banqueting house and they were shown this massive buffet can you imagine, you know, being kind of escorted around the buffet? Oh, here, here's, uh, here's uh, uh, Oysters Rockefeller, and here we have Lobster uh, Au Gratin, and we have Escargot and Garlic, uh, we have uh, Shrimps, so we have this, we have that. And uh, I was like, the guy was really proud of all the things they could eat, all the kebabs and all the satay, whatever they wanted, it was there. Huge buffet. And I think all, everybody's mouth was watering as they saw it because, wow, it not only looked good, I'm sure it tasted good. And so uh, Daniel was presented with the same thing and his friends, and Daniel said, uh, no, we're not eating this. Now, I know that all that seafood probably wasn't kosher, uh, but there were other things that probably were, so they could have selected some things off the table, but no, he's not going to eat anything on the king's table, period. He was going to have pulse. I'm going to, we are going to eat pulse. Pulse? Hmm. So the king's chamberlain got, the coach got really nervous. Because he said, uh, well, if you eat that, you're going to look terrible. And not only that, if you look terrible after you've been the number one draft pick, and it comes to the king's attention that this has happened, I'm going to be fired. And you need to understand that in Babylon, fire doesn't mean you lose your job. It means you get thrown in the fire. And so he was really nervous because they were not going along with what had been prepared for them according to the plan of the empire. So they decided to eat pulse. So he said, well, let's have a, let's have a test. We'll eat pulse for 10 days, and if we don't look better after that than all the rest of them, then yes, we will cave into you. But after 10 days, as you remember from the story, they looked fantastic. They look better than everybody else. So the king's chamberlain was scratching his head. He said, okay, well, then that's fine. You do what you need to do. And they ate pulse. So the burning question is this. What is pulse? Do anybody know what pulse is? I didn't either, so I looked it up. Do you know you can Google pulse? Anyway, pulse comes from the Hebrew word meaning what is sown. You can eat anything that is sown. So basically a vegetarian diet, I guess. But virtually anything that is sown, you can eat. So that word actually means what is sown. So what was sown was what they ate. And I think there's a lot more to this table than just food. So there obviously was a dietary issue at the time, but I think there was a lot more to the table at this. He was determined that he would not live, he, even though he had to live in Babylon, he had no choice. He had to live, we have to live in the world. There's no choice. You're, you're part of the world system. It's unavoidable. But you don't have to eat at the king's table. That choice you do have. And he didn't so as not to defile himself. So I think that this is a spiritual, this, is a, this was something more than just not eating. It was not being, not allowing the influence that was being imposed upon him to take root in his life 
so that that would become the dominant decision-making force in his life. He wasn't going to be dependent on what the king could supply. He wasn't going to be dependent on the honor of sitting at the king's table. He wasn't going to become dependent on the service to the king in the future. He wasn't serving the king. He was serving the king of kings. And in so doing, he served the king, but his primary focus and his primary loyalty and, and, and adherence was to the king of kings. And so even though he couldn't be in Babylon, he did not have to be part of Babylon. You are in the world, but you are not to be of the world. And that's the key to success in the flesh. He didn't depend on, and neither can we depend on, he depended on having an excellent spirit. Praise the Lord. That made him stick out above everything else to stand out uh, even more than the ones who had all the privileges. But if he had remained there and eaten of that, it would open the door to control. The devil is about control. And if he controls by what he gives you and what he can take away, he's got you. We are to eat from the Lord's table. Scripture also says he has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Which table are you going to eat from? That's the question. Will it be the world ruler's table or the Lord's table? It's an issue of control. It's an issue of influence. Now, the world's table looks a lot more appealing. It looks appetizing. But the food is contaminated. It's like all that seafood has mercury poisoning. So the fact is the Lord's table is healthier. That's what this little lesson all kind of helps us understand. So how do we win the battle of the flesh? So um, I'm going to point out just um, three strategies uh, but the, the basic thing is you have to, you're, as you have already, we've already talked about, you're going to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Simple. No to the flesh, yes to the spirit. Somebody say that with me. No to the flesh, yes to the spirit. Yes and no. So the flesh is more than this. It's more than, it's our, it's our humanity. It's our human nature. And that's what the Holy Spirit conflicts with. He conflicts with sinful human nature, which has been contaminated. His objective is to change human nature. To restore it, to redeem it, to restore it, and to resurrect it into a whole new form, as we heard this morning through the exhortation. And I believe the seed is here to do that right now. The flesh is our sinful human nature, our carnal nature, and the reason that's a problem is it is corruptible. Eternity cannot allow something into it that is corruptible or eternity will be corrupted. Make sense? The devil has access to our human nature because of Adam's sin. So he has access because sin is now part of our nature. He has access and has prepared a table for us, and he uses the system to, to, get, to get to us. Now, you can't escape some things. You know, I mean, Daniel had to eat something. Uh, and, uh, but what, when the devil proffers you something, there's a hook in it. Like fish eat worms, right? Uh, but, uh, and that's fine. That's natural that they should eat worms. Well, it's not so good if there's a hook in the worm. 
because then the fish is caught. And the devil's a fisherman. His goal is to prevent us from having eternal life and becoming new creatures in Christ. So um, I want to shift a little bit from Daniel to Jesus, because Jesus is a model of how to handle uh, the issues of the, of the natural flesh. When Jesus uh, was baptized, it says the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. It was deliberate to be tested of the devil. And when he successfully defeated the devil, it says he came out of the wilderness in power. That's Luke chapter 4. So the Spirit led him in to be tested of the devil. Forty days he was fasting to be tested. But after that 40 days, he came out in power. So I believe that we need to see that this process also is from us and how to draw from God to live power-filled lives. That means temptation. Uh, there's a difference between temptation and compulsion. How many have heard that saying, the devil made me do it? Well, actually, the devil can tempt you, but he can't make you do anything. You have a choice. The whole idea of temptation is there's a choice. You can either fall for it or you don't. You have an option to not fall from it, not fall for it. So temptation is a choice. So we have a choice to make too. So there's a, there's a choice that we make on a daily basis, whether or not we're, what source we're going to draw from, either the king's table or the Lord's table. Simple as that. So... Uh, <clears throat> There, is, um, there are natural human needs. And what I've noticed is, is the devil actually tempts us with things that God actually wants us to have. It's just, who do you get it from? The devil tempts us with, uh, uh, with normal human needs. So let's think about the normal human needs. There's some uh, psychologist that is called, that's called Maslow, and he's come up with this kind of pyramid of human needs uh, there. And there are basically three, three sets uh, one is a natural need uh, of food and security. Jesus was tempted with that particular need. That was the first temptation. He was hungry. The body needs food. He could die. The body needs that security. So the devil tempted him. You're the son of God. If you're the son of God, tell these stones uh, to be made into bread. And it will be done because you have the authority to do that. Just work independently from God. So the Holy Spirit led you in here. Uh, but uh, he doesn't mind if you now turn these stones into bread. Just, just take the matters into your own hands and do that. And Jesus, how did Jesus respond? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so one of the ways that we can actually succeed is not to be driven by the things that we need. God knows, and Joel preached so eloquently about that last week, God knows what we need. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. All these things will be added unto you. And that will be provided because God knows what you need. So we don't need to be panic and say, well, I'm going to take matters into my own hand or I'm going to depend on what the devil's suggestion and do this and that and grab while I grab and is good. No. You taste and see that the Word of God is a significant thing. Actually, when the Lord comes into our life, He turns that pyramid upside down. 
First thing is seek the kingdom. It's not the last thing, it's the first thing. All these things will be added onto you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, have you been in pursuit of God? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Remind yourself of that every day. You can't live on yesterday's manna. Eat what is in the word of God today. Taste and see that the word is good. Not just the written word. Usually we think, well, that's the Bible, and that's like written 2,000 years ago. You know, the Holy Spirit brings the word to life every day. And he can give you a word for the moment and for the season that will allow you to go through the troubles that you're in right now. God wants you to search and to seek because it's part of your growth and ability to stand. The next level is ego and social status. And, of course, uh, Daniel was provided that by eating at the king's table. And so Jesus was told, cast yourself down from the temple. Prove to everybody around as you go up there, and let's be dramatic about it. Cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. And uh, the angels will come, and they will bear you up in their hands. And everybody will look and see, wow, this is the Son of God, must be. Tempted to uh, let his ego drive things. Prove to yourself. A lot of people feel like you need to prove who you are to yourself, not just to everybody else, but sometimes to yourself. You have to prove to yourself. That's called low self-esteem. You know what the problem with low self-esteem is? If you actually get esteem, you'll end up with high self-esteem. And that's very obnoxious and annoying. But I've noticed that lots of times people with low self-esteem, you give them an inch and all of a sudden they're like their head explodes. You know, it becomes like big self, high self-esteem. Both of those are a problem. Don't bother with it. The best esteem is to esteem Jesus. You can afford to be humble when you know how great God is. Don't put God to the test, Jesus told the devil. Hallelujah. Don't put God to the test. So uh, coming back to uh, a, a lot has to do with, with uh, eating the fruit of our labor. Uh, we do things because it enhances our feeling of accomplishment and all those other things. But eat what is sown. So what that means is whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. Same glass of cold water in the name of the Lord has a reward. That glass of cold water in your own name has no reward. You've, already done, you've done your good deed. You feel good. Good for you. Eat what is sown. What you sow in Christ is what you reap. So there, uh, sowing actually talks about, uh, it talked a lot about in the Bible, you reap what you sow. Hallelujah. So if you sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. If you sow to the flesh, you reap that you're not so sure about. Corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap eternal life. So it depends where you sow. And eat what you sow. Enjoy what you have sown into the Lord because there will be fruit that comes from it, not just for eternity, but even for now. Hallelujah. I like eating what I've sown. Uh, by the way, uh, in about March this year, I sowed in my little greenhouse some tomato plants. And I now have an abundant, they've all matured. And aren't they beautiful? They're perfect. And I eat what I've sown. And it tastes so good. Hallelujah. But you know what? I've got an abundance. Far more than I could possibly eat. I mean, I'm already getting hives as it is. 
So, you know, I, I brought a whole bunch of tomatoes out there so you can all enjoy what I've sown. You get to eat what I've, you get to eat my pulse. What I've sown, you get to eat. So help yourself on the way out the door. Uh, Reese is going to put them all out there on the table for you, and there's some bags there. Help yourself. Enjoy. These are really good tomatoes. Eat what you've sown. Hallelujah. So this will remind you of the word. The Lord's table, you eat what you have sown. And so we sow to the Spirit. You reap eternal life, and it's really good. It's very, eternal life is very tasty. And eternal life doesn't begin when you get to heaven. It begins when you give your life to Jesus. Hallelujah. So you can enjoy it right now. And the last thing that people uh, aim a- a- ambitiously to do is, is to self-actualization. Self-actual- That's kind of a common thing today. Uh, be all that you can possibly be. Work to achieve and come to an end uh, that is actually your destiny. And, you know, I like that. I actually like that whole idea. The thing is, a lot of people look to their destiny as being something that they've achieved in themselves. And you know what? The end of that is corruption. Always. I learned that early in life when I was working, working hard, and I loved the idea of achieving and doing something and being successful. And then I realized that everything I was successful about was going to be forgotten in about five years. It'll be obsolete and gone. And it'll be like, who's he? And what was that? Oh, yeah, well, that's old. That's not new. That's nothing modern. That's nothing new. All that effort, and it's for nothing. So I decided I'm not just going to sow to the flesh. Uh, I mean, I'm going to sow it to the flesh in the name of Jesus. But I'm going to sow it to the Spirit because that's eternal. It's an upside-down kingdom. So God turns that whole pyramid of what you need upside down. What you need most, actually, is Him. And be in your destiny. What you need, secondly, is to allow Him to promote you, just as He did Daniel. That's the second thing. What you need, thirdly, is that you will get all the other things. They will be added to you. It's, a, it's, it's an upside-down pyramid, but it's the right way to go. So... Your table is waiting. You have a reservation at both tables. You can sit at one or you can sit at the other. Which table are you going to eat from? I want to become a part, I want to be a partaker of the divine nature of Jesus, to come and to participate in his kingdom and his, uh, what he has for us. And uh, it's so important that our flesh is in the right spot because God actually wants to use us. Our destiny is not just about ourselves. Our destiny is about the people around us. Our destiny is about our children and our children's children. Our destiny is about our neighbors. Our destiny is about our community that we live in. Our destiny is the world that we live in. Everything is, 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 is hinged on that. How, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Scripture says, it's going to kick, convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. How can you convict the world of sin if he's not convicting us? If, he doesn't, if we don't know what's right or wrong, we don't hear the Lord's disciplining every day. If we don't hear that, and if we think, well, I'm okay, I, I can't get tempted, uh, that's ridiculous. You can be tempted. Jesus was tempted. But you don't have to say yes. You can say no. Uh, and God wants to train us to say yes and no. Now, you know, one of the easy ways to get out is uh, he could just take us out of the world and out of the flesh. You know how he does that? He kills you. So, uh, you know what? I don't think that's a good option. 
So we're here for a reason. And, uh, and we're here so that he can actually use us to allow the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. We're models of what God intends for eternity. Yes, and, and so that doesn't, convicting the world of these things is actually showing them the better way. It's like Daniel, let me eat pulse, and I'll show you I look better than all the rest. Let me draw from the wisdom of God, and I'll be able to tell the king his dream. Let me draw from the wisdom of God, and, and I will be promoted to being the second in command of all of Babylon. It's how we get there that matters. And so that's where I, I believe we're in a challenging time right now. The world is entering into a place of chaos, into a place of hopelessness, and the world around it. I mean, it's a terrifying place right now, and, it, and I don't see it necessarily getting better, even though I'd like it to, but I don't see it getting better. I see it being a, a more tenuous place. So you know what? We have, to be, we have to be rocks in this place. We have to be a place that people can stand and, and draw from and to see that there is a better way. And that depends on us eating from the right table. If we eat the same table, eat the same table as everybody else, we will be like everybody else. But if we eat from the table of the Lord, we will be standing out, sticking out. So my question is this, which table are we going to eat from? It's a daily challenge. There's a reason why in the Lord's Prayer it is, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. That gets as much attention in the Lord's Prayer as give us this day our daily bread. So, you know what? We can't assume that there is no battle. I'm okay, therefore there's no battle. You are in a battle, whether you like it or not. If you're not in a battle, you're being neutralized in some way. So, what we need to see is that we're in an aggressive place where we have to take our stand in the Lord. We have to, be, we have to learn now to draw from This may be a training ground, but when the, when the, war, hits the, when the war comes to the gate, we've got to be ready. And we've got to be ready because we know how to wield the weapons of our warfare. Uh, amen. So, uh, bless you. And uh, may you learn to do battle because you know what? In every battle, there are spoils. The, the harder the battle, the greater the spoils. So, if you're going through a hard time, some, a lot of people here have come from a very hard place. I know that. But you know what? You've come through. And you know what? There are spoils of that battle. There are victories that result in medals of honor and blessing in the hands of God. Amen. So I'd like you to let's stand together for a moment. I don't preach down to you. I'm preaching with you. Every, you know, even as, I, even as I prepare my message, I think to myself, this message is really for me. Am I supposed to share this? I need to hear this myself. And uh, so the Lord speaks to me, so I'm just conveying what he's also told me. So you can share in it. We're all in the same boat together, amen? And uh, so we, we need to see that we, can, uh, that we can win this battle. And there are people, as I said here, who are right on the front lines of, of struggling with something. Well, you know what? God, you've come to the right place. You've come to the gate. God bless you. Draw strength in the name of Jesus. Burn, draw strength in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that we can stand in your presence this morning. And together, Lord, we want to be a 
unit in your army. We want to be unified as a troop, ready to work in the places that you've set us, whatever they may be. And Lord, we draw from you. Teach us to eat from your table, to draw from the bread and the wine of life and efforts that are founded in you. So maybe just join together with me in prayer and let's repeat together. Lord Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, thank you that you have chosen me. I have not chosen you, but you chose me first. Lord, I thank you. You have loved me from before the foundations and have now set me in a good place. We want to, I want to draw from you, Lord, in my everyday life that everything I do and everything I say not only has your stamp of approval, but becomes evident that it is empowered and anointed with your grace and your power. We ask that, Lord, so that we may glorify your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.